Acts chapter 18. Let's begin reading. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Kela and born in Pontus and who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night of a, by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one, uh, with one accord arose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was ab- about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to, your, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all the Greeks took Sosthenes and the ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Um, we, we come to a text in which um, we see the Lord encouraging the Apostle Paul in just a wonderful, wonderful way. And I pray that, that this morning that it would be an encouragement to you as well. You think of the Apostle Paul. God saves him in the most radical way. Here's the one that, that is the persecutor of Christians, one who would be putting Christians to death. And the Lord knocks him to the ground and a light shines around him from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And, and, and we see God specifically call him towards a ministry of evangelism, building up of the saints, mission trips that would be taken by the Apostle Paul. And he goes throughout many different regions. And as you watch him in the, the beginning of his, his first two missionary journeys, you see that 
He just faces all kinds of trials, all kinds of difficulties from being at places where they're just waiting for him to kill him, like in Damascus, and him having to escape and be let down a wall in a large basket to watching him go to a a place of being stoned, rocks thrown at him to where um, in his executor's mind, he was dead. In the disciples' minds, he was dead. Dragged out of the city, brought out of the city, and as he's dragged out, they realize that he's not dead but just brutally, brutally injured. And you try to put yourself into his position and think, what would I do under those circumstances? I've preached the gospel, I'm teaching, and I'm taken, and and they throw rocks at me until they assume that I'm dead. He goes back into that same city again. Go from there to find him Again, being taken before the the magistrates and having them tear off the clothing of 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 these disciples and and we're just told that and they were beaten with rods, beaten. And you go through the life of of the apostle Paul and and you 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 hear him talk about some of these things, being whipped. 39 times and having that be where those whippings, those 39 whippings took place on five different occasions or, or being beaten with rods three times or being stoned, left for dead once or three times being, being shipwrecked and left out at, at sea. And, and, and you, you start going through the life of this man and, and you get to think, it's absolutely brutal what he went through. And yet there was this resolve to preach the gospel. You see him thrown into prison and, and, and whipped again. And, and we find that, that, that his, he's put in, in this prison, into the inner prison, and he's fastened there in the stocks. And yet him and Silas are, are praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners are all listening to what's taking place. And yet... There's no question that, that there was incredible suffering that took place. And so we come to chapter 18. And we find in verse 1 that Paul departs and he goes to Corinth. Comes to a, a, another city as he's leaving Athens. Going by himself now coming into this place of Corinth. Corinth is, is an area that was known to be just a melting pot of all different kinds of people. You, you had all different kinds of races that were there, all different kinds of, of classes of people. You had an area that was a seaport, and so people would come in and out all the time. But it was also an area that was known for just incredible sin occurring in that city. They had a temple there for the goddess of Aphrodite. And 
there were thousands upon thousands of prostitutes that were there within this temple. On a regular basis, on a nightly basis, these women would go out and there was just incredible sexual sin taking place. It was a cesspool of sin and it even entered into the church. You find in, in 1 Corinthians 5.1, it tells us that the sexual immorality that was there that things were taking place that weren't even named among the Gentiles. Incest and horrible things occurring within, even within the church. But sin in that particular region that Paul talked about in first in Romans chapter 1 as far as God giving people up to vile passions, vile things. Their women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature, and men also, leaving the natural use of the woman and burned with lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. They didn't even want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that were not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness and full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and evil-mindedness and their whispers and backbiters and haters of God and violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents and undiscerning and untrustworthy and unloving and unforgiving and unmerciful. And even though they knew the righteous judgment of God, they didn't practice such things. Um, that those who practice such things were deserving of death. Not only that they did the same things, but approved of those who practiced them. And so we just find incredible, incredible sin there. As we read things like that, we, we relate to it to a large degree, don't we? I mean, you, you think of our particular culture that we live in, and there's, there's gross sin that's all around us. Um, in my lifetime... We've gone from having homosexuality to be something that was considered wrong and sinful to being something that's considered a lifestyle to be esteemed and honored. I know that there's been times where people have said, if that pastor one more time calls homosexuality sin, we're out of here. And some of those people no longer go to our church. The text tells us that it's sin. This is what was taking place in Corinth, and this is what's taking place in places like Sodom and Gomorrah and, and other regions, and where you see God's judgment come upon it, upon it. And there's no question as far as whether this kind of sin was occurring in Corinth. And so now Paul has gone to this place. He finds a certain Jew named Aquila and, and, and his wife Priscilla. And he goes and lives with them, and he works with them, tent makers. He meets this, this couple, and he's there in the city working alongside them. So you think of Paul traveling to all these churches, going to all these different places, and now He's in a place and there's financial need for him to where he needs to be able to make a living. He's gone to another city. He's now in Corinth and he needs to make a living. And so he begins to make tents again with a couple that he meets. 
in Romans 16, it talks about Priscilla and Aquila, and it says specifically that Paul says these these were those were that were my fellow workers in Christ, and they risked their own necks for my life. They risked their lives for me. We find that that. It goes from there to tell us that he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He would go and, and minister in the synagogues, teaching them, and we'd find Jews and Greeks coming to know Christ. And so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked by, I'm sorry, um, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So now Silas and Timothy come and they bring help. Second Corinthians tells us that, that Paul was telling the, the church in Corinth, I, I was um, a burden to no one when I was with you. And, and what I, I, I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And so we find that Silas and Timothy come. They come with an offering to come to help Paul. And so they bring him financial help so that he doesn't have to work and continue to make tents as much. Came from Philippi. Paul talks about them in in Philippians 4.14 where he says, Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. I love that. Think of this church, and Paul saying, when I went there, nobody else helped me, but you guys only. You helped me. This picture of, of sending and ministering to financial needs of missionaries or pastors. There's so many churches that are around where the pastor is a tent maker as well. He has some kind of business on the side that he's able to do to be able to make funds, to be able to serve in, in ministry. There's pastors that are on uh, our team here at the church that are not paid full-time as pastors or paid at all, but they use the gifts that God's given them to have some kind of tent making, and then they serve all of you alongside that. But you see missionaries also who go out and they're serving and some of you are there to support them. Our church is there to support them. But I think it's important just to take a second just to notice this, that Silas and Timothy came and that particular church gave them funds to help the Apostle Paul and it was just an incredible blessing to him. And so it says in verse 6, when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon you your own heads, I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So he departed from there and entered into the house of a certain man named Justice. He preached the gospel to the Jews that were there, preached the gospel and preached the gospel and preached the gospel. Some believed, but many rejected it. But Paul's saying, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. I've preached the gospel to you. Now you can imagine for him going through all that he's been through. He has come to a place of just discouragement. Um, 
I think we would find ourselves in a similar situation. Here's somebody who was a leader amongst the Jews, highly esteemed by everybody, to being in a place of making tents, being in a place of being beaten with rods, stoned nearly to death, treated brutally by so many different people, and yet God comes to him at nighttime in a vision and speaks to him. For me, as I was reading through this, I wanted to focus primarily on this portion of the text because I find it to be so precious in the way in which the Lord speaks to him. There's times in ministry where it's easy to just grow so tired. There's times just in life. You're going about your lives as a husband, as a wife, as someone working or raising kids or serving in whatever capacity that you're serving. And there comes times where it's just exhaustion sets in. Times in which you face trial after trial or tribulation after tribulation. You might find yourself in that situation now where you're just, you're, you're exhausted. You're weary. You're at a place where it would be so easy to go in the direction that your flesh would want you to go. It'd be so easy to be in a place of disobedience. It would be so easy to fall in a place like Corinth to all kinds of sexual sin or other kind of sins. And yet, God specifically comes to minister to him. He comes to him and he begins in verse 9 by saying, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, why would God say that to him? Say it to him because he was afraid. He was in a place there in Corinth and he was just fearful. All that was taking place in his life, all that he was called towards, he had been alone for so long and he's in a place of not knowing what's going to happen. And he's just afraid. And God specifically comes to him and begins by saying, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talking to the church of Corinth says, Brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Specifically saying, when I came to you, when I first came to you in Corinth, do you remember how it was? Came to you and there was just weakness that was there. There was fear that was there. There was much trembling that was there. It was 
trembling. I was afraid. But God said to him in the midst of that, do not be afraid. I came to you and I was just scared, trembling. And God said, do not be afraid. The next thing that God says to him is, but speak and do not keep silent. Don't be afraid, but speak. There had to be that within Paul that would just think it would be easier to just not speak. I know that if I speak truth, I know that if I proclaim the gospel, I know that if I go to this place and call certain things sin and call people towards repentance, I know that what could happen is more beatings with rods or more being stoned or more being whipped. I know that all kinds of things like that could happen to me and and he's just trembling and he's afraid and God's saying, don't be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. Preach the word. You hear him say that to Timothy, right? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. And we see God saying that to the Apostle Paul. But I love what I just read you in, in, in 1 Corinthians where he says, but I, I didn't come with excellence of speech. It wasn't that I was this great speaker that was able to come and just move people by what I was saying and, and, and had the ability to just influence people by the cleverness of my words or how articulate I was. I didn't, I didn't come like that. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the most important thing that I ever could have brought to you. I came trembling and afraid, but the main thing that I wanted you to understand was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And God told me, don't be silent, but speak these things. There could be such a a fear that overwhelms us to the place where we don't want to be thought of as exclusive or hateful or some kind of Bible thumper or always, always calling people towards repentance. You have Thanksgiving coming up this next week, followed by Christmas time, followed by just other holidays like New Year's and time spent with family. And sometimes amongst family and being together in times like that, it's the hardest to speak. It is so much easier to just keep silent. And yet you, you see in the midst of all of the trembling, all of these things that God's just saying, don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. And you see Him saying, Okay, I, I trembled and, and I didn't have excellence of speech and there wasn't just this incredible wisdom, but trembling that was there. My speech and my preaching, it wasn't with persuasive words of human wisdom. It wasn't that people sat there and just thought like, he is the most brilliant man I've ever heard from. Rather, he just said it. 
I preached in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith wouldn't be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God worked. God spoke. God did it. I think it's so important to be able to have confidence that it's God that is the one that's working through us. In 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. It may just be something very simple in which we share, and there's seeds that are being planted. It may be watering something that someone else has already heard. But knowing that it's God who is the one that gives the increase. God's the one that is working. Paul's at a place of staying with this couple, afraid, not wanting to say anything. But God specifically appears to him and says, don't be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. That message would be for us as well. The sweetness of, of, of our Savior to come on a morning like today and say, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in your faith. Don't be afraid. But speak. And do not keep silent. There must be someone that preaches the gospel. Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. He goes on to say, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It comes by hearing the word of God. When I was in South Sudan in a city called Tonj, it was 1998 and the, the famine was so bad that there were dozens of people dying daily, like every, every single day. Doc, Dr. Jim Henderson was there with me during that time. Pastor Jim Milligan was there. Tony, I think, went. Tony Dolan. And others I'm probably missing that were there during that time as well. But, but I, I, remember, I remember seeing people with just flies covering their faces all over their bodies. You could see every bone in their body. And they would just be laying there in their little hut. And they would die. Like that day, they would die setting up feeding centers and trying to feed the kids Unimix or giving them other vitamins or bringing maize to the people and trying to, to feed these people. And there was no doctors there with me. Like I was there for a period of about six weeks. No doctors, no, nobody to help in that arena at all. I was, like, I was like the best they had as far as a doctor was concerned. And if you know anything about me, that is a sad, sad day for those people. 
That is not what I do. I remember a little girl coming to me and her her hands were covered with flies, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flies, and her fingers looked just like uncooked ground beef. She had burned her hands, and the infection was so severe. And we we cleaned her hands when she came, and, and, and she just screamed like... And I asked, what is she screaming? And, and they said, she's screaming, just let me die. She couldn't have been more than eight years old and just screaming. And we cleaned her hands every single day. The, the first day, she just I remember her throwing her head back, and now her head was bleeding. And she came in naked. There wasn't clothing for people in that area. We gave her an outfit to wear, and I gave her a blow pop because I brought lots of blow pops, not for them, for me. <laughs> but I found that they needed it more than I did. And so I gave this little girl a blow pop, and I said to my buddy, Jim, I said, that girl's never coming back here again. We just tortured her. And the next day, I remember just seeing her, just her head looking through the fence, and she was just trembling. And she came in, and we cleaned her hands again, and we gave her another blow pop. And she came every day, I don't think she cared about her hands as much as about getting the blow pop because they had never had candy there before. But there was something in me that was just like, I, I remember we, we had this compound. It's all fenced up. And I would wake up and I just thought, I don't want to go out of the compound. There are so many thousands of people here and I can't help them. It was so draining for me. It was just like, just to go walk throughout the village every day was just like the most draining thing. People coming with like legitimate, like, I need medical help. And I'm like, I got like Neosporin ointment. I, I don't have anything for you. And I don't have any background in that. And so just leaving was so much for me to do. All these little kids sitting there just holding, holding my hand and we'd walk throughout the city and We'd minister the gospel there every single day. But I was exhausted. I remember saying, we said to each other, me and this, this, another guy, Jim, just said, like, when this trip's over and people are like, how was the trip? Was it awesome? I, I, we just said, like, we would never describe it that way. We would just say, like, okay, we finished. Like, we just finished it. And when I went back there a few years ago, and I had someone come up to me and say, like, I remember you. I was a little kid that just every night my heart would just pound, and I, I would just think, i got to be the first one to wake so I could be at that gate. And I'd hold your hand. I was just a little kid. I'd hold your hand. I'd just walk throughout the whole village with you and you would share the gospel and I got saved. And now I'm training pastors here and working at the hospital. I didn't know that. I just, everything in me did not want to go out that gate. I, I, had to, I went out the gate, but I fought every day. Like, I don't want to go out the gate. I don't want to go out there. I just, there's so many people that have so many needs and I have no energy left and I have no strength left. And yet God says, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The Holy Spirit inspires us by the word here. Regardless if you have the strength or whether you have the energy or whether you feel strong enough, his response is, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. And the reason why is, for I am with you. How radical is that? I mean, how did that change things for the Apostle Paul? I'm with you. When they're, when they're whipping you, I'm with you. When they're beating you, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Someone turn off their phone. Um, it goes on from there and says, and no one will attack you to hurt you. That had to be the most incredible, incredible blessing for him to hear. I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. No one will attack you to hurt you. One of the comforting things there is that God has the ability to make it so that nobody would attack him or hurt him. Nobody would. For the time that he was there, God saying, I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. He stayed there for a year and a half. I think I may have just would have planted myself there for the rest of my life. As long as that was the deal. And yet God called him to some other areas where he would be hurt again. He would be attacked. But for his time there, God says, I'm with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. That last part of what God reveals there is just incredible. Don't be afraid, but speak and don't keep silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. That portion of that phrase has been, of that verse has been one of the greatest, greatest encouragements to me in missions. There's been times like where I'm, I'm someplace like that's just so remote and it's all Muslims and God makes it so that I have a microphone to share the gospel. There's times where I'm placed like that. I don't know any of the Christians except for who's with me. Being in other areas of the world where you're ministering the gospel and you're just thinking like, is this even getting through to them? Do they understand what I'm saying? Am I portraying it the way that I need to portray it? And the verse that comes to me is, speak, do not keep silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. There are those that need to hear the gospel and they belong to him. I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times like I've just looked into like a sea of people. And what goes through my mind is, and I have many people in this city. We serve a God who's sovereign. We serve a God who changes hearts and he opens eyes and the gospel goes forward and saves people. To have the confidence that we could go places and God just says, I have many people in the city. To be here in Orange County, and for us to say, okay, 
I don't need to be afraid. I can speak. I don't need to stay quiet because God's with me. And God has people here. And they need to hear the gospel. There's people in our cities. And how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. It gives us such great confidence to know that we serve a God that can come and say, don't be afraid. And he can do it with just incredible, incredible confidence. He could tell us to speak because that's what he's called us to do. To minister the gospel by speaking. And to know that there are those that he will bring to salvation. They will hear and the Holy Spirit will work within their hearts and bring people to salvation just as we were saved. What an encouragement to a man who's struggling with just strength to go on. This isn't the first time that he's done this. He's done it many times. Times in Scripture where someone just needs encouragement. You, you see it with Joshua, where... He says in Joshua 1, in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. We see something so similar, right? Someone struggling, I'll be with you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall... Divide as an inheritance a land which I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm with you. He says in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see the same thing again. In Jeremiah, where the word of the Lord came saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Oh Lord, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am youth, for you shall go to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. Does that sound similar? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'm with you. I'm with you to deliver you. And so on this morning, you may be at a place of just, you're afraid. You may be at a place of just being discouraged. You may be at a place of not wanting to stir up the gifts that are inside you. You may be in a place where, not only that, but you've gone after stuff of the world. You're just living and pouring yourself into your own flesh and doing what your flesh wants and what the world wants and what the enemy wants you to do more than what God wants you to do. What God would tell us today is to repent of that, to not be afraid. The sweetness of the Holy Spirit to say, I will speak directly to you at this time. 
Speak. Don't keep silent. I'm with you. I have the ability to make it so that no one will attack you to hurt you. That promise doesn't go to everybody, right? But it went to Paul during this time. But God has the ability to do that. For I have many people in the city. What does it tell us? He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. A year and six months teaching the word of God. I pray that God would give us that kind of resolve. There comes times where we're just tired and we're discouraged and we want to give up. God would use texts like this just to minister to our hearts to put us right back on track. Yeah, think of that little boy in South Sudan who became a man and who I later got to talk with. I was a little boy. I held your hand. You walked with me every day. I heard you preach the gospel and I got saved. And now I'm training pastors and working at the hospital. How many people do we never hear from? How many people does God use us to minister to? And we never hear that kind of story. The fact of the matter is this, is we serve a God who has many people in this city. We serve a God that can accomplish his purposes. We serve a God that uses his word to bring people to salvation. We serve a God that can use the gifts that he has given us to be an encouragement to people who need to be encouraged. And he has a plan. As I read this text, it just screamed out as far as the power and the sovereignty of God to give us encouragement in the midst of however much discouragement we have. Salvation that comes, not by works, but by faith in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross alone. The best news that we could ever give to anybody. And yet even the Apostle Paul needed encouragement to not be afraid and to speak. Let's pray. Lord, may you give our congregation, may you give me, all the encouragement that we need in ministering the gospel. If there's people that are here this morning and they're afraid because of sickness, because of circumstances, they're afraid because there's people that don't like to hear what they have to say. If there's the temptation to be pleasers of men rather than pleasers of you, God, I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to not be afraid. I pray that you would give us the ability to speak, to not stay silent, but to speak, knowing that you're with us, knowing that there's no one that can hurt us, without your permission. And knowing that you can use our voice from proclaiming your word to bring people to salvation. Give us that kind of boldness, Lord, we pray.
Cause us to shine brightly as lights. Give us clarity in the proclamation of the gospel that you might accomplish your purposes and that people might come to know you and that we would have so much joy even in the midst of discouragement and trials and difficulties. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.